Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. Cosmos Possible Worlds, Episode 6, titled, The Man of a Trillion Worlds. See now, this, this is more like it. This is what I expect. This is the type of quality I expect from Cosmos. This is better. This falls more in line with the whole Possible Worlds ethos. Like, it just, it works better. It fits better. It's better written. Uh, It actually has a point to it. It actually has, like, a linear trajectory that isn't just lost in the weeds. Like, this is just a much, much better episode in every possible way. So, this episode, the vast majority of it, focuses on telling the story of Carl Sagan. A story which this show is uniquely uh, inclined to tell, is uniquely geared to tell in the most effective way possible, because Carl Sagan is literally the reason this show exists. Uh, He isn't just essential to Cosmos history, he is Cosmos history. Uh, Cosmos and Carl Sagan are inextricably linked, so of course they do an entire episode uh, going through everything Carl Sagan was, all of his dreams, all of his achievements throughout the course of his life, everything he did uh, throughout the decades, uh, particularly during the space race. Uh, They spend a lot of time on that. Uh, And just in a very compelling, very emotionally resonative way. Uh, And what really, really struck me is in telling Carl Sagan's story, they take a very how-I-met-your-mother approach, (laughs) where they don't just immediately say, Carl Sagan was a young lad in a Brooklyn apartment. They don't say that immediately. They don't get there immediately. But they instead first set the groundwork by telling the story of his mentors. And not only that, but telling the story of the guy who made the discovery that inspired one of his mentors 150 years earlier. And that seems like such a bizarre storytelling conceit for your 
intimate portrayal, intimate portrait of Carl Sagan, of the late great Carl Sagan, but it works. It really, really works to put Carl Sagan's story in the proper context, to place him at exactly the right point uh, in time and place for the scientific community to do everything that he did, to accomplish everything that he accomplished. Uh, And it does a great job of showing that groundwork of where that one guy 150 years ago came in and... Uh, then when the mentors came in and what they did and their massive feud with one another. Carl Sagan, somehow, out of all the scientists in the entire world, he picked the two mentors who hated each other the most. <laughs> I don't know why I find that funny. It's very unfortunate for Carl Sagan. When Neil deGrasse Tyson gave the quote of it felt like he was a child of divorce, like that... That was sad. That was very, very sad. But, like, something about it. Something about just the absurdity. Like, what are the odds? What are the freaking odds? <laughs> Out of the entire scientific community at that time, he chose the two mentors that hated each other most. Like, just how does that freaking happen? Uh, But you sort of get a feel for not just the place and time that Sagan's at, but also where everyone else in the story leading up to him was at, uh, where all that foundation got laid down, and everyone in Sagan's orbit uh, is handled in just as compelling and just as interesting of a way. But they tell that story and everything that led up to his story very, very well in such a brilliant, such an emotional, such a resonative way. Uh, It really, really hits hard. Uh, I especially love how they paid specific attention to how Carl Sagan advocated for blending of scientific disciplines, uh, the meeting of scientific disciplines in an era where that wasn't a thing. Like, when Carl Sagan came into the world, like, chemistry and biology and physics and astronomy uh, and geology and all those disciplines just were, like, walled off from each other. Uh, In fact, any time. Literally, the rivalry of his two mentors was built upon one of them, an astronomer, dipping his toe into chemistry, and a chemist just seeing that as a personal attack. And then this launched a feud between the two. Uh, And Carl Sagan kind of did a lot to advocate for getting a bunch of different scientists from a bunch of different fields, a bunch of different disciplines, sharing sharing their resources, having them collaborate with one another, and sort of getting them all in a room together. Uh, And I love, 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 love how they pay specific attention to that, because without that, I mean, Cosmos certainly wouldn't exist without the idea that we can blend discipline blend disciplines and just see science as this monolithic thing instead of just a division of different uh different camps like cosmos certainly wouldn't exist without that thinking and like it's very very important to the ethos of this show and without it we also wouldn't have gotten into this era of uh exploring the greater cosmos we wouldn't have gotten into this era of exploring all the different facets of our universe. Again, a different part of the ethos of Cosmos, a different part of the whole 
mantra of this show. And what makes this especially important for Possible Worlds, a show where uh, it is at its best when it is using the science of the past and present to uh, do informed speculation on the future, like, this is all, uh, this is an entire show about looking forward. The reason his story is so important for that endeavor is that Sagan was, like, the ultimate speculator. Sagan was very, very open to using his knowledge and using the si- the knowledge of the larger scientific community to sort of see, okay, could X be possible? Given what we know, could this be the case? Like, theorizing, speculation, all of that. Carl Sagan was a big proponent of that. There was a lot of that in the original Cosmos series. So we would not be going on this journey that Possible Worlds is going without the type of thinking that Carl Sagan thought up. I mean, Jesus, this man wrote a science fiction novel in his spare time. It doesn't get more Possible Worlds than that. (laughs) It does not get more Possible Worlds than that. And off of this, off of this whole idea of Carl Sagan allowing the speculation that takes place on Possible Worlds to occur, uh, that defines Possible Worlds to occur, we then dive into the thought experiment that Carl Sagan did of trying to come up with possible life on Jupiter. Possible life forms that could exist on Jupiter without violating the laws of science. And so, we get into uh, something that Sagan touched upon in his series, but this goes on, this sort of dwells on for a longer period of time and goes into a bit more detail on uh, his sinkers, floaters, and hunters. Uh, And we see that thought experiment played out with this breathtaking CGI, uh, this beautiful rendering, this beautiful modern artistic rendering that is so mind-blowing and so amazing. And I just, I love this thought experiment. I always love this thought experiment. I'm just like, this is possible. Like, it's probably not this, but it's probably not not this. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's, so good. It's so good and such a beautiful thought experiment. And then Neil deGrasse Tyson, in sort of the last 10 or so minutes that aren't about Sagan, sort of uses this as a jumping off point for more of that lovely speculation that Possible Worlds is very much defined by. That's what makes Possible Worlds stand out in the Pantheon of Cosmos. And we start by looking at the oldest world we know of. Uh, and we examine the state that that's in. We examine, like, uh, its orbit. We examine the binary star system it's in. uh, The future where (laughs) a third star will come in and just completely send it careening out into space as a rogue planet. And this could be... This planet could have been formed as far back as a billion years after the birth of the universe. Which is a long time ago. The universe is like 14 billion years old. So, billion years after the creation of the universe, that is new. That is very, very new. Or, not new, old. That is, the universe is new at the time this world was created. The world is old. 
Jesus Christ, I, like, kind of, I folded my sentence in on itself. Like, I just had this weird sentence paradox that made me say something completely the opposite of <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> Professional podcaster, I'm great at my job, yay! Uh, <laughs> but... If that world is that old, then it provides credence to the idea that stars are essentially world-making machines. And it gives us optimism that maybe there are a crap ton of worlds in the cosmos and a crap ton of inhabitable worlds in those star systems. Like, it lends a lot of optimism to that idea that, like, maybe Carl Sagan's dream of venturing out into the cosmos will one day be realized in a true sense. And then we end on a star system, a triple star system called Gliese 667. And we have this beautiful sequence where Neil deGrasse Tyson takes us through the worlds of this system. This one's not habitable, this one's not habitable, yada yada yada. And then we get to a habitable, a habitable world, one of three. And there's this beautiful, dialogueless sequence where Neil deGrasse Tyson is just venturing out into this planet, seeing the life it has to offer. Like, you got this great... And apparently, by the way, Neil deGrasse Tyson says at the very end that all of this weird alien life we see, that's actually stuff that originated on Earth and we don't know that much about and is still very alien to us. Like, we still haven't even begun to know... Uh, life on Earth. Like, that's kind of the uh, symbolism there. But it's still really, really fantastic. It's still really, really cool. This breathtaking dialogue-less sequence of just exploring this alien world uh, as it might be. Like, it's fantastic. It's utterly breathtaking. It's utterly spectacular. It's an amazing way to end uh, a very good episode that really does feel like a return to form <laughs> for this series after that last episode that we will not talk about. It's it's real good. It's real, real good, and I like it a lot. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows, and you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, Tomorrow we will be discussing Cosmos Possible Worlds Episode 7. Talk to you then.